The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Amen. Testimony and song of the woman that we'll look to in just a moment. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 this morning, looking to verses 18 through 23. As you open your Bibles there to Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 23, I want to remind you of the words of Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, it begins, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. You, you can't you can't, it's not tangible. You can't hold that which you're, you're hoping for. It's an intangible thing, but faith is what gives it a, a substance, a, a materialism to that which is immaterial. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence, the proof of that which is unseen, of that which has no true evidence or proof. Faith is what makes it tangible. Faith is what gives it the strength. Faith is what compels it and motivates it. Uh, faith is that, that foundation of, of hope. And the chapter continues, and it, it reads in verse 2, By faith we understand that the worlds that, uh, were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. We know by faith that God spoke, and what is came into being. And then it lists a number of people in time past who are great examples of the faith. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Joseph and Moses and Rahab. And generally it refers to a couple of others even in that line of what we call the Hall of Faith. God has always called His people to live by faith. To trust His Word. And though Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and all of those that we just read about did not know the fullness of God's redemptive plan and the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, they had received a, a word from God, a revelation from God, a, a promise from God, and they believed it. They staked their life upon it, and their actions followed in that belief. Yeah, there were seasons of doubt for some, but over, overall, the actions they took gave evidence to the faith that they entrusted upon the Lord and upon His Word. We read in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, Abraham believed, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. It's always been by faith. It's always been by grace through faith. The Gospel of Matthew is more than just a factual biography. The Gospel of Matthew is actually a theological biography. It traces for us the life of Christ, but Matthew does so with a purpose to reveal Jesus to us, to teach us about who Jesus truly is. And so in all of these stories, we ought to be more concerned not merely with the facts of the story as much as what is this teaching us about Jesus? And what, as we think about what it teaches us about Jesus, is it teaching about ourselves and our, our need for Christ in our Lives. We have seen that Matthew overall is showing us that Jesus is the Christ. He truly is the Messiah, the promised Redeemer. He's the son of David who's establishing the, the kingdom of heaven. We've seen it in his teaching as he taught like no other. We've seen it especially in his miracles. That 
Jesus could do what no other person could do. He could calm nature, speak to nature, and it would obey. He could heal diseases and sicknesses. He could even command the demons, and demons obeyed His every command. In the context of what we're about to read, just to catch you up if you've been with us, and hopefully get you to where you need to be if you haven't been with us, uh, Jesus has just called Matthew, who was a tax collector, to be His disciple. Tax collectors were hated people because of what they did, kind of traitors against Jerusalem, even heretics in the religion of Jerusalem, because to go against Jerusalem was to go against God, because it was a theocracy that God had established. And so they were hated, despised people. They were thieves Stephen would steal more money than was required to line their own pockets. Matthew, a tax collector, Jesus calls him to be one of his disciples. He follows Jesus. And then they sort of have a celebration regarding Matthew being chosen and following Jesus. Uh, A lot of other tax collectors come over. A lot of other sinners, was the title given to them, come over. And Jesus is seen feasting with these tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees caught wind of this and, and come to rebuke him in a way, asking the disciples, why does your master eat with such people, with tax collectors, and sinners. What does Jesus say to them? Jesus says to them, you, you know, I've come, the, the, the sick don't need a physician, but, but those, I'm sorry, those that are well don't need a physician, but the sick do. And he comes and he says, I've not called uh, the righteous, but I'm, I've called sinners to repentance. And then the disciples of John come onto the scene, and the disciples of John are even thrown back at what they're witnessing is Jesus' feasting, even while they were likely observing one of their religious fasts. And so they ask, you know, Jesus, why do your disciples not fast? And yet the Pharisees fast, and, and we fast. And Jesus tells them, the bridegroom is here. It's not a time of mourning. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of joy. The ones that we most expected to understand who Jesus was, we we come to realize they miss it all together. The Pharisees, who were the most religious, the disciples of John, who were the disciples of the one who was preparing the way, they're the ones that miss the boat, so to speak. They're the ones that aren't quite sure about this Jesus. And what we actually find, especially in these miracles that we're about to read about, the people that come to Jesus truly believing upon Him, truly believing Him to be who He truly was, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God incarnate, they're they're not the Pharisees, and they're not even the crowds. They're not the the disciples of John. They're, They're mostly the outcasts. They're mostly the ones who, even though one of them we're about to look to had a position of authority, he was in a place of of true, utter desperation. And it was only when they came to understand how desperate they truly were that the, the scales of their eyes were pulled back so they could truly see Christ for who He truly was. Let's read beginning in Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. While He, that is Jesus, spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped Him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed Him, and so did His disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood, an issue of blood, you may be familiar with the the language in the King James, a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind 
and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If if I only may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead, but is sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and he took her by the hand, and the girl arose, and the report of this went out into all the land. And Jesus departed from there. Two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe? Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the ruler of demons. For each of these stories, we really could begin it as the author of Hebrews began his synopsis of all of those of time past that were following God. We, we could begin each of these stories with that expression, by faith, by faith this ruler came to Jesus. By faith, this woman came to Jesus. By faith, these blind men came to Jesus. By faith, these people brought this demon-possessed mute man to Jesus. What Matthew has done here is he set before us four of the miracles of Jesus that, that reveal to us examples of faith. And he's done so that we might learn from them, that we might even become like them in seeing First of all, just how much we really need Jesus. First of all, seeing just how how desperate each and every one of us truly are. And and as we come to really see just how desperate we are, it, it is only then that we really can have a right faith expressed in Jesus and rightly see Him for who He is. That we must come to a place of desperation in, in order to find that it's Jesus and it's only really Jesus who can truly meet our every need. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you desperate enough to turn to Jesus with all your heart? Are you desperate enough this morning to turn to Jesus with all of your heart? And I don't ask that question as if Jesus is just a last-ditch effort. You know, Jesus is something that, that might work and kind of like, you know, you've, you've, you've done everything else and nothing else is working, so try Jesus maybe. No, I'm not, I'm not asking it like that. What I mean by that is is when we don't understand just how desperate we are, we, we, we are blinded to really coming to Christ in the faith that He desires and the faith that He even requires. That it's our religion, it's our pride, it's our intellect, It's our comfort even. 
all the safeties and securities that we have in this day and age, especially, that, that keep us from realizing just how much we need Jesus. And that's why Jesus says, I've not come to, to call the, the well, the well, the whole, they don't need a position. The ones that think they got it all put together and think they've got it all figured out, they're not going to see me for who I am. You know who does? It's the rulers that just lost their daughter and the woman with the issue of blood that's been outcast for 12 years and the, the ones that are blind beggars and the ones that are demon-possessed and can't even speak, the ones who are the farthest out in society, who, who all of their comforts have been stripped away, all of their securities have been stripped away, and they realize more accurately the desperation of us all than any of us do. And those are the ones that came to Christ in the faith that He desires for you and me to even have this morning. Are you desperate enough? Are you desperate enough this morning to turn to Jesus with all your heart? Notice firstly, Jesus and only Jesus can heal your greatest shame. The story begins with a ruler in verse 18 coming to Jesus. We'll talk more about him in a moment, but his daughter was sick, according to Matthew and Mark, when he first came to Christ. When he's with Christ, he got word that she passed. And, and we'll look to him in a moment because I want to first focus on this woman with this issue of blood, this flow of blood, because her story uh, it interjects itself in the middle of this man's story, does it not? So, so we're introduced to this man. And Jesus arises and he's following this man. But in verse 20, the, the story shifts gears and we have this story within a story. Suddenly, a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind, worked her way through the crowd, and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. You know, we often read stories and even biblical stories and we, we read it disconnected from the text. We read it not really placing ourselves in the shoes of the person we're reading about. And so I want to pause for a moment and ask you to put yourself in this woman's shoes. To consider for a moment, as that song even so beautifully expressed for us, the, the pain that this woman had been going through. You know, many believe that this flow of blood, this issue of blood, had something to do with her womb. There was a multitude of sufferings that resulted because of this flow of blood, especially in that day and age and in that culture. And consider, first of all, that, that if it's right, and it likely is that this was an issue with her, her womb, that, that this woman was dealing with the, the pain and suffering of the, the disorder itself. Right? It says for 12 years she had been going through this physical suffering. For 12 years she had been going from, from doctor to doctor, from place to place. And every time, some I've, I've, I've walked with some people, some people are still going through this who have undiagnosed medical conditions that are, they go from doctor to doctor and it's a, it's a hard thing because you, you reach one doctor and might give a little bit of hope and you think this is going to actually finally be the cure and finally a right diagnosis of what you're going through only to walk through it and find um, it doesn't work and to actually end up in more despair at the end of the, the, the journey with that doctor than you were beforehand. Some have walked through that. Some of you maybe have even walked through that. Imagine this lady for 12 years 
has been enduring this suffering and has been going from place to place, from person to person, from hope to hope, to no avail. Only to be in more despair at the end because now she's financially broke. Now she's unable to even go to the next and pay because she's out of money. She's at a place of, of utter discouragement, utter hopelessness. In that day and age, not being able to bear children would have been viewed culturally as a great shame. She likely was unable to get married. No man would have wanted her. She was unable as a woman to work even, to provide for herself, especially with the condition that she was going through. And so she was in a place of being destitute. She was also in a place of being ostracized from the community and even the religious community. She was unable, because of this disorder, to even worship at the temple or worship in the synagogue. She was pronounced unclean because of this issue of blood. Uh, She would be ostracized from even the daily life there in Israel. And she was one that should have proclaimed even, I'm unclean, don't, don't get near me, because if you were to touch one who was pronounced unclean, you would become unclean and have to go through a ceremonial cleansing process. This, this lady was enduring agony upon agony, suffering upon suffering, shame upon shame. It's hard for us to imagine that, isn't it? With the medical knowledge that we have in this day and age, with the change even of not being under the law, being in this age of grace, it's hard to imagine not, not, she probably didn't have a home to go home to. She didn't know where her next meal would come from. Didn't have many, if any, who were caring for her at all anymore. Somehow, though, she heard of Jesus. Somehow, she perhaps had even seen some of the miracles or at least heard of these miracles that he had performed and and the rumor that he truly was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. And she concocted up this thought, if I only touch the hem of his garment, if I could just get close enough to him that I could could reach out and and touch the hem of his garment, I know know his power will heal me. I know that he has the ability to do that. I know that he can heal. And so she struck up the courage and the boldness to to face this crowd, imagining at any moment anybody could recognize her, call her out, uh, ridicule her, uh, scorn her for even being mingling among the crowd. She works her way up to Jesus. She, She reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment. And in that moment, she's cleansed, she's healed. And other gospel writers, Mark and Luke, trace the funny Uh, the story in a funny way, Jesus' response. He turns around and he says, Who touched me? And the disciples are confused because they're like, Jesus, we're in the midst of a crowd. There's a bunch of people touching you. And he says, No, my my, my power departed from me. Somebody somebody touched me in a different way than all these other people are. It's really weird. Like, Jesus didn't know who it was. I think he did. I think all of this is for her uh, more than, and even the disciples, than it is for him. Uh, but, But it is a peculiar response to Jesus, that he knew power had departed, but he didn't know who it was to whom the power healed. I think he knew. I actually think, as some others that have commented on this passage, I think this woman, this woman likely had this idea of touching the hem of Jesus because of past experience, even delving into magic and superstition. It does fit. That's all speculative here, but maybe this woman had tried 
different things before that, that were delving into the realm of superstition and even magic. And she was thinking, if I can only touch the hem of his garment as if that had certain power, she would reach out and by her touching his hem of the garment, she would be healed. I think it's likely the case. Again, that's speculative. You don't have to hold to that, but I do. I think she reached out and, and touched the hem of his garment and Jesus in all of his grace let that power heal her. Let his power heal her. And he turns around and he asks who touched me, not, not out of a, a, a means of inquiring about something he didn't know. He knew it all along, but he's doing so for this, this woman's benefit. That though this woman's faith, uh, faith was immature, and though this woman's faith may have been based upon even some ignorance, Jesus doesn't turn her away. Jesus acknowledges the faith that she has and who he is and what he can do. And he instructs her. He even corrects her so lovingly where he says to her, Woman, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. That, that it's not your reaching out and touching the hem of my garment that has made you well. It's actually the faith that you have and who I am. And, and, and that I am the Christ. That I am the Messiah. That I have power to heal. It's your faith that has made you well. And the woman was made well from that very hour. What an example of faith, of pursuing Jesus, even in the midst of our greatest shame. She braved the crowd and all the, the could-have-beens, and, and she reached forth to touch Christ, even if there was an ignorant, superstitious belief in the midst of it. Jesus acknowledges the faith, even though it was the, the faith of a child, especially because, rather, it was the faith of a child. What am I saying? The, the simple faith that she expressed in Jesus and who He was and what He could do, and Jesus healed her. Jesus informed her, your faith has made you well. Now, you may not have an issue of blood, a flow of blood, but we all have those inner hidden sorrows. We all have shame of some sort or another. Are you desperate enough to turn to Jesus with all your heart? Jesus can heal your greatest shame. Notice, secondly, Jesus can overcome even death itself. Jesus can overcome even death, the greatest enemy that we face. Death itself. Back to the story of the ruler. Matthew tells the story in a brief way. He leaves out details that the other writers of the Gospels include. Um, but Matthew gives to us a synopsis of what is needed. For us to understand what Jesus is revealing to us here. This man came to Jesus because, as Mark and Luke point out, his daughter was sick unto death. She was dying. But by the time he's having a conversation with Jesus, a word comes from a servant that the daughter has died. And Jesus says, don't fear. She's only asleep. Basically, trust me. And this man has the faith to trust Jesus. Matthew words it in such a way, kind of picking up after all that transpired, that he says, my daughter has just died, but, it, but he expresses such faith upon Christ when he says, come lay your hand on her, and she will live. This was a ruler of the synagogue. Uh, Jairus was his name, according to Mark and Luke. This is a man who had 
power and authority in Israel. This was a man who I undoubtedly believe has exhausted every avenue of bringing healing to his daughter. He unlikely had the the brightest of the brightest, the best doctors in the area, come and do what they could do for his daughter, and yet she was still dying, and he knew of Jesus. I believe he heard about the centurion servant that was healed by the very word of Jesus, and he comes to Christ. He says, just come and lay your hand on her, and I know, though she is dead, I know she will live. Last night, I... Usually Saturday night, I'll spend it in preparation for Sunday morning. And came out of the bedroom and walked into the living room. The kids were being berserks and being being themselves and played with them for a little bit. I, I, I sat down on the floor and Ainsley, my almost four-year-old girl, came over. And she had her little fake purse. Thankfully, this is all fake purse and fake... Um, well, the jewelry wasn't fake that she wanted to put on Daddy, and so she put her little uh, wanted me to put her little bracelet on, and then her little sunglasses on, and then she had fake makeup. Thank the Lord, it was fake makeup and fingernail polish, and and she's she's decorating Daddy's fingernails and and putting blush on Daddy, and and I'm just thinking all the while of this man and his 12 year old daughter. His 12 year old daughter. What what would you do? Is your, your what would I do if my baby girl was dying? He had exhausted every avenue. He had done all that he could do, and he had come to a place where he understood just how desperate the condition was, that there was no earthly hope, that he needed something more than any other human being could do for him, that he needed something that's literally out of this world. He needed a touch from the divine. He needed the, the hand of Christ to come. He needed Jesus to reach forth his hand and to touch his daughter. So Jesus comes to the room. The In that day and age, it was a common uh, cultural expression of grief to hire uh, those that played the flute and even professional mourners, people that would come and lament even as, a, as an expression of the sorrow and the grief that was upon your heart. And, and that was already occurring. They had hired the flute players and they had hired the, the crowd of, of mourners, of lamenters that were there. And, and Jesus walks in and he says, y'all get out of here. She's not dead. She's just asleep. And they ridiculed him. They laughed at him. They scoffed at him. No, we know. And she was. She was dead. And Jesus walks in. And Jesus takes her hand and he says, Arise. And what does the scripture say? She got up and walked out of the room. The other gospels include, he said, Get her something to eat. It's time to live. There's not a natural explanation for this foolish to go down the pathway of liberalism where they say, well, she really was just in a, uh, uh, she had passed out and her blood pressure had dropped and by Jesus grabbing her hand and massaging her hand, it helped the blood flow and she came back to and that's so foolish. No, this, this girl was dead. Life had departed from her, but the life giver entered the room and the one that has power over death and life itself brought life back to her. It's a miracle. It breaks the laws of nature because Christ is the one that spoke it all into being. Christ is the one that formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul, a living being. Jesus is the one that can walk into a room where one has died and reach forth his hand and say, Arise, and life is given. 
That, that's who we are to believe Jesus is. That's who Matthew is revealing to us Jesus is. That's who Jesus is revealing himself to be through the, the doing of this miracle. He is the one who can overcome even death itself. Are you desperate enough to turn to Jesus with all your heart? You realize death is not an unintended consequence of sin. Death is actually an appointed consequence of sin by God Himself. He says, because you've sinned, you will surely die, Adam and Eve. Get out of the Garden of Eden, lest you eat of the tree of life and live forever. Death is God's megaphone, so to speak, of shouting to us in our sin that you are not gods who will live forever doing all that you want for as long as you want. No, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Death is something that's meant to awaken the deadness of our soul to see just how how desperate we all are. That this world is broken, that you and I are broken, that you and I will not go on forever, and death will come upon us all. It's meant to lead us to our senses, so to speak, that we see our desperation and we turn to the one and the only one who has the power over death. The one and the only one who overcame death, sin, and the grave through his own death burial, and resurrection. Jesus can heal your greatest shame. Jesus can overcome even death itself. Notice thirdly, Jesus can make the blind to see. Can make the blind to see. These two men, verse 27, they're blind. We don't know for how long, but from the other gospel writers, we know they're beggars, and they heard the crowd coming by. And hearing the crowd coming by, they inquire what's going on, and they heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. And they call out, not Jesus of Nazareth, they call out Jesus, Son of David. That they understood that this is the Christ. Son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, would you, would you turn in your kind, compassionate love and, and see our needs, see our condition? We are blind and are beggars and everyone else has passed us by. Maybe every now and then the Pharisees out of the... the pride of their heart to show how righteous they were, would cast some alms down before them, but they were they, they knew their desperation. And they turned and they said, Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David, the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus turns and He asks them, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that I am able to do this? They're doing this for our admonition. They believe. They're calling out. They're begging for mercy. But he says, do you believe? And they express faith. They say, yes, Lord, we do. And he cuts their eyes saying, according to your faith. According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus warns them not to say anything, even though they went and did it. And many believe that's because he's, he's taking an effort to prolong the ministry before the time has come. That there will be the revolt of, of those that, that will ultimately lead to his crucifixion. Don't tell anybody about it. And of course, they couldn't help but go go and, and tell about what Christ had done for them. Their eyes were open. They recognized their desperation and they knew that Christ, the Son of David, was the only one who could heal their blindness. Question for you this morning. Are you desperate enough to turn to Jesus with all your heart? And the fourth miracle, realize Jesus can rid the demons and restore your voice. 
says that they brought to him. We don't know who they are. A group of people of some sort had enough faith and enough care for this person that was demon-possessed, could not speak, um, to take him to Christ knowing that Jesus was able, knowing that Jesus is the one who could heal that Jesus is the one who can cast the demon out. That Jesus is the one who can bring healing and restoration, even of one's voice. So they bring him. It's just told very concisely. They brought this man to Jesus. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And then we find that the crowds marveled at this, saying it's never been done like this. We've never seen it like this in all of Israel. And then the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the rulers of Two responses, really three that we read here. One are those that have faith in Jesus, those who are coming to Christ, recognizing just how desperate they are in need of His work, in need of His person, of who He is. Okay, We see that in the most broken and outcast of these individuals that we're reading about, those that experience His miraculous power. We see a second group of people, the crowds. The crowds, they loved the show. The crowds found it entertaining. The crowds are following because they've never seen such a thing done in Israel before. The crowds aren't recognizing their desperation and falling before Christ and and asking, Lord, have mercy on us. The crowds are the ones who will eventually cry out, crucify Him, crucify Him, release unto us, Barabbas, crucify Jesus. The crowds are following in interest because it's entertaining. Pharisees and all their religion and all their pride, they they scoff at Christ and slander him to such a degree that they say, you know how he's doing this? He's he's doing this by the power of greater demons. So he's he's casting out lesser demons because he's in charge of the greater demons. They're attributing his works to the works of Satan, to the works of demons. And it's the unpardonable sin, I believe, that, that we'll look at. That they have so blasphemed the Spirit of God upon the Christ that they have attributed to His works that the, being the work of, of Satan himself. Jesus had said, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. For I did not call, come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And then Matthew shows us example after example those that were well missed the point. And how it was those who were the most scarred and broken and desperate people on planet Earth that really actually came to understand Jesus for who He truly was. They really got to a place in their life where they believed upon Him as we all ought to believe upon Him. Are you desperate enough this morning to turn to Jesus with all your heart? Are you too filled with the religion of the Pharisees? Are you too filled with the entertainment of the the crowds that that you're here this morning because you had nothing else better to do and you're here because there's not another place that you were were needed and so you go to church when it's convenient and you serve the Lord when it's convenient and that's the extent of your life with Christ. He's a good thing to add to your life at times, but you've never gotten to a place of being desperate before Him, of understanding just how broken you are and just how much you need His salvation, you need His healing, you need His forgiveness, you need what He did for you at at Calvary, you need His eternal life that is only found in Him and in Him alone. 
you're like a Pharisee and you're so filled with yourself that you don't recognize just how desperate you are. Because you've got it all put together this morning and you look nice and you're put together. you got good church clothes on. You're in the church house on Sunday morning, for goodness sake. And you're living a decent life. You love your wife. You love your kids. You're working hard. You're even generous to others. And you think someday that God is going to recognize that and, and you're going to get into heaven because, you know, God ought to be glad he's got you on his team met people. I've met a lot of people like that. And they come to church even want to join the church sometimes thinking like, God ought to be glad I'm here. Are you desperate enough to turn to Jesus with all your heart? Are you at a place this morning where you realize just how broken and messed up how intending death is upon you and nothing you can do about it? Just how deserving of hell you are if it's left up to you and who you are and what you've done? See, I think a big problem in many churches is people come to Christ and they, they just want something good added to their life. They don't really get to a place where they realize just how desperate they are without Him. Sometimes God has to strip back our comforts and He has to strip back our securities and He has to shout to us with that megaphone of pain and suffering in order to to get us to the point where we're lying flat on our back and we realize there's nothing that we can do but, but cry out, Son of David, have mercy on us. Cry out, Lord, I can't do it and everything I've done, I've exhausted everything and it can't heal, it can't... It can't remove the shame and the guilt I feel. It can't bring about a forgiveness that I know eternally secures me. I've I've searched and I can't find it anywhere else because it isn't anywhere else. It's in you, Christ, and it's in you alone. I pray that most of you have come to Christ in that way. I think many of you have. But I beg if you haven't, recognize just how desperate you are without Him. Turn to Him with whatever pain and sorrow, whatever shame and guilt, whatever sin it is that's weighing heavy upon your heart, and realize He paid it all on Calvary, and He didn't stay in the grave. He's alive, and He can forgive and redeem and restore and give to you eternal life, even now. If you've never turned to Him and repented and believed, I beg you, do so as we have this invitation. Heavenly Father, we come to You. Lord, we thank You for this morning, the time You've given us to gather together to sing together, to pray together, to fellowship together, to look to Your Word together. Lord, I pray as Your Word has been proclaimed that it would not sit idle upon our hearts, but Lord, it would prick and it would convict, it would rebuke and correct and instruct and teach. Lord, for all of us who are Your children, may we be reminded of just how desperate we are without Christ. May we be reminded that if it weren't for Your grace, where would they because of Christ. Maybe we be renewed in that even this morning. Lord, if there be one here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, never turned to you out of their desperation and cry to you, have mercy on me. I pray they would do that now, that they would turn to you and believe upon Christ as Lord and Savior. Leave here knowing that they're saved by faith. Knowing that they're saved because of your grace and your mercy. Lord, I ask this in Christ's name. Thank you.